I've seen it, uh, I've read some of it, and it's fine. I don't believe it. <laughs> it's his own report, and he doesn't believe it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Eugene on KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, Eureka, California's KGOE, hello Eureka, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And yes, uh, thanks to those folks up in Eureka, California, on KGOE News Talk AM 1480. Delighted to be on up there five, actually six days a week. Tom Seaborn tells me um, the uh, who who uh, runs everything, I guess, up there in uh, in Eureka. So uh, thanks, Tom, and all the good folks in Eureka. Good to be there. I hope you all. Wherever you may be, had a restful and peaceful holiday weekend somehow. My thanks to our to uh, Angie Coiro of In Deep Radio for filling in for Desi and me. Desi and I don't know. Desi and me. Thank you. Uh, hi, Des. Um, giving us uh, an extra day off over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Greatly appreciated, Angie. Thank you. Coming up, we will be joined live in just moments by Dr. Michael E. Mann, creator of the infamous hockey stick graph tying carbon dioxide level to ever-rising heat levels across our planet to respond to this remarkable new report released by the Trump administration on climate change over the holiday weekend, where they hoped to bury it, hoping you would not notice. We intend to help you notice. That's in just a moment. Uh, meantime, no, the midterm elections are not over. Several races are still being counted. 
Uh, there was actually a concession today. I'll try to get to that in a little bit. Runoffs are coming up, including on Tuesday in Mississippi for the U.S. Senate. We'll talk about that and much more in a bit. And maybe, maybe even get to some of your calls uh, if you have anything that you feel was buried over the holiday weekend and needs some sunshine over our public airwaves, what we still have left of them. Uh, write down the number. It's 818-985-5735. If you're uh, listening live, 818-985-5735 will be our phone number if you want to line up now um, and if I get some time in a bit. But let me uh, let's start here. Uh, well, along with your turkey over the Thanksgiving weekend, I hope you didn't enjoy any romaine lettuce Salads. U.S. health officials last Tuesday, just before the holiday, warned Americans to toss out all romaine lettuce due to yet another outbreak of E. coli. The warning comes just months after a similar strain of E. coli contamination in romaine lettuce sickened about 200 people and killed five across the country. And on the heels of a similar outbreak, also linked to other leafy greens that happened just last year. The deadly outbreak this past spring was found to be due to tainted irrigation water used on a number of farms with water contaminated by animal feces that was then used on the lettuce. As the investigative news outlet Reveal reported in late summer of this year, for more than a decade, It's been clear that there is a gaping hole in American food safety. Growers aren't required to test their irrigation water for pathogens such as E. coli. As a result, contaminated water can end up on fruits and vegetables. After several high-profile disease outbreaks linked to food, according to Reveal, Congress in 2011 ordered a fix. And produce uh, and produce growers this year would this year would have begun testing their water under rules that were crafted by the Obama administration's Food and Drug Administration. But you'll be shocked to learn that six months before people were sickened by the contaminated romaine last spring, President Donald Trump's FDA responding to pressure from the farm industry and Trump's order to eliminate regulations, shelved those water testing rules for at least four years. Four years! Despite the deadly outbreak earlier this year, Reveal reported in August that the FDA had shown no sign of reconsidering its plan to postpone those rules that were put in place by the Obama administration And Donald Trump said, nah, don't worry about it. If people get sick, oh, well. If people die, oh, well. The argument from produce growers who petitioned the Trump administration to to postpone those requirements, it would save them $12 million a year. Just $12 million. That, even as the FDA's own analysis found that not testing for pathogens in water used to grow produce would cost consumers $108 million per year in medical expenses. $108 million for consumers, well, that's okay. But $12 million for the produce growers, that's we got to get rid of that, no matter how many people die. 
So guess which side the Trump administration chose in that battle? Their push to roll back any and all Obama administration regulations is both costly and deadly to Americans. As that disaster for the industry and Americans alike played out last week, Donald Trump tweeted, quote, brutal and extended cold blast could shatter all records. Whatever happened to global warming? Yes, that was the president of the United States on Twitter. Well, had the president had any clue what was going on, apparently, in his own administration, he would have known exactly what happened to global warming. It's getting worse. And quickly, according to an alarming report released by the White House on Friday over the holiday weekend. And if you think the cost of poisoned food for Americans, if you think that is troubling, it is nothing compared to the devastating costs of man-made climate change, according to a new nearly 1,700-page report just released by, yes, wait for it, the Trump administration. A major scientific report issued by 13 federal agencies on Friday after Thanksgiving presents the starkest warnings to date of the consequences of climate change for the United States, according to The New York Times, predicting that if significant steps are not taken to rein in global warming and damage, the the damage will knock as much as 10 percent off the size of the American economy by century's end, slashing up to a tenth of gross domestic product by 2100, which, if you remember the Great Recession a decade or so ago, that would be more than double the losses of the Great Recession. Remember how bad that was? This will be more than twice as bad unless something is done to take action. The report, which was mandated by Congress and made public by the White House, is notable not only for the precision of its calculations and bluntness of its conclusions, but also because its findings are directly at odds with Donald Trump's agenda of environmental deregulation, which he asserts will spur economic growth. Uh, This report by his own administration details exactly the opposite. The new climate assessment report was written long before the deadly fires in California this past month and before the hurricanes Florence and Michael raked the East Coast and Florida. The new report details how warming uh, charged extremes have, quote, already smashed U.S. records for damaging weather, costing nearly 400 billion since 2015. 400 billion. When asked today about the devastating economic effects of climate change, as described in the report, again, released by his own administration, Trump said, uh, yeah, he saw it, but he he doesn't believe any of it. I've seen it. Uh, I've read some of it and it's fine. <laughs> Did they say economic impact yeah, I don't believe it. Don't believe it? No, no, I don't believe it. He doesn't believe it. The report, thankfully, is mandated by law every few years, which explains why the Trump administration had no choice but to release it. But they did have a choice about when to release it. It had been scheduled for release next month, but suddenly it was dropped on Black Friday while folks were out shopping for their families, with their families, for the holidays. Even the scientists who wrote the report said they had no idea that it was going to be released that day. 
The paper is based on more than 1,000 previous research studies and details how global warming from the burning of coal, oil, and gas is hurting each region in the U.S., how it impacts different sectors of the economy, including energy and, yes, agriculture. Annual losses in some uh, economic sectors are projected to reach hundreds of billions of dollars by the end of the century, more than the current GDP of many U.S. states, according to the report. It finds the lower 48 states have warmed 1.8 degrees since the uh, year 1900, with 1.2 of those degrees Fahrenheit we're talking about just coming in the last few decades by the end of the century. It warns the U.S. will be 3 to 12 degrees, 12 degrees Fahrenheit hotter, depending on how much greenhouse gases are released into the atmosphere. Trump, administration officials and elected Republicans who were given far more airtime over the weekend news shows to dispute the study's findings than were the scientists who actually wrote it and understand the actual science behind it, they all continued their various denialist spin that climate is always changing, but we just can't know how much of it is caused by humans, how much of it is just a natural cycle, all of that nonsense. Without greenhouse gases, uh, natural forces such as changes in energy from the sun would be slightly cooling the earth, according to the report. It says more than 90 percent of the current warming is caused by humans. There are no credible alternative human or natural explanations supported by the observational evidence, says the report. Well, that's precisely what Dr. Michael Mann on this very show has been telling us for years now, but it has been a while. So joining us now is Michael Mann. He's the creator of the now infamous hockey stick graph showing the correlation between the increase of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and the recent historic rise in global temperatures. He is the distinguished professor and director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University, author of more than 160 peer-reviewed and edited publications and books such as The Hockey Stick and The Climate Wars, uh, and uh, a, a more recent one with political cartoonist Tom Tolles, which is great for the holidays. It's got cartoons in it uh, called The Madhouse Effect, how climate change denial is threatening our planet, destroying our politics and driving us crazy, which is a very short drive. Dr. Michael Mann, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Great to be back with you, Brad. Uh, so how does this uh, new report, uh, how does it differ from so many of these previous reports? Uh, what is essentially new here that the previous reports and, and that folks like you have not already been warning us about for so many years now as Donald Trump and friends ignores you? Yeah, well, in essence, uh, because these reports by construction are really assessments of the existing scientific literature, it's hard to be caught by surprise scientifically. The mm -hmm. information in these reports is information that's already backed up in the peer-reviewed literature. I, I think what is unique about this particular report, however, is the way the science has been framed. Scientists, as you know, tend to be very conservative, very reticent mm -hmm. um, uh, in the way that they characterize their findings. Uh, and uh, my colleague, uh, Naomi Oreskes, likes to call it the uh, path of least drama. Mm. Uh, Scientists will yes. be the least dramatic they can. They don't want to make waves. They just want to do their research, publish it, and get on with it. Mm -hmm. um, but here you have a group of scientists, conservative scientists, who really cannot find any way 
to not state uh, our understanding, our assessment of the science in terms that are, frankly, quite worrying. Um, simply stating now what the science has to say mm-hmm. is cause for alarm. Uh, the, we've seen, you know, as you alluded to, uh, the report, the findings of the report were formulated before we truly saw the impacts of crime, uh, climate change writ large uh, this summer and this fall um, in the form of unprecedented superstorms and droughts and heat waves and wildfires. We are seeing those impacts now play out in real time. And so to have a group of uh, fairly conservative scientists, the National Climate Assessment, these are government scientists and um, academic scientists uh, who uh, you know, uh, really have no particular um, impulse to uh, be alarmist, but nonetheless simply stating what the science has to say is alarming. It's, it's alarming because we are seeing the impacts of climate change now play out in real time. That means we're much farther down this road than we ever should have allowed ourselves to get, and time yep. is running out. There is a level of urgency, unlike we've seen before. We have to bring our carbon emissions down dramatically now to avoid ever more catastrophic warming of the planet, and, and this is what you see in the form of scientists who are usually quite uh, conservative mm-hmm. coming out and saying, look, we have, in essence, an emergency now. Um, and the emergency, as you alluded to, is heightened by the fact that at a time when we need to see even more action, uh, we need to cooperate with the rest of the world um, to go beyond what's already been committed in the Paris Accord if we're going to stabilize warming below catastrophic levels, we have a president who is trying to take us in exactly the opposite direction, literally trying to dismantle the environmental protections that were put in place um, during past Republican as well as Democratic administrations. And, And that is obviously cause for great concern, coupled with the fact that he uses the bully pulpit to spout misinformation and disinformation and ignorance when it comes to the science of climate change and its impacts. It's it's particularly disturbing when you have a president of the United States, you may have heard in the intro there, you know, saying last week, just days before this thing is released, saying, well, whatever happened to global warming? It's cold outside. And then when the answer comes in a 1,700-page report, well, this is what happened to uh, global warming, Mr. President. He then turns around and says, I don't believe it. Uh, if you heard that audio, that was uh, just from uh, a, a few hours ago uh, at yeah. the White House. Yeah. I, I, and the consequences are deadly. That's why I wanted to sort of uh, wrap in the, the, the lettuce there, because he has yeah. been rolling back these, uh, uh, these regulations, and the consequences are deadly. So what, what do you think when you hear those pronouncements, when you see right. them reiterated on uh, the weekend news shows? Uh, what goes through your head as somebody who has warned about these things for years, yeah. and now we're seeing these things? Well, you know, I'm looking uh, out the window right now, and it's dark outside. Whatever happened to the sun? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's about, his comments about climate change are about as sensible and intelligent as that. I mean, even uh, a five-year-old uh, understands the absurdity of the claims that he makes, the sorts of arguments um, that he makes. And I'm so glad that you did draw that analogy, um, both for the very real cost of deregulation, of sort of rampant um, 
and uh, uninformed um, uh, deregulation and the damage that that brings and the cost um, that uh, that incurs, whether it's in terms of the health costs of this uh, massive E. coli outbreak uh, because of um, the deregulation mm-hmm. of the farming industry, or the unprecedented damage that climate change is doing uh, because of attempts by Trump and fossil fuel interests who run his administration to try to uh, dismantle uh, regulations to preserve the health of the entire planet. Um, And the analogy holds as well, which you touched on, the cost of inaction, the damage that's done by inaction Mm -hmm. is so far greater than the cost of the action in the first place, of the regulations that were in place, whether we're talking about the, uh, the cost of that uh, um, disease outbreak, the E. coli outbreak with the romaine lettuce, or the cost that we are seeing, the damage that we're seeing play out in real time now in the form of catastrophic wildfires and superstorms and droughts and floods and heat waves. Um, the analogy is a perfect one. And let's go even beyond the cost of inaction There's the fact that the rest of the world recognizes that the future of the global economy is going to be in green energy, renewable energy. And China, despite what Trump claimed today, is actually doing far more than we are. They are uh, taking coal-fired power plants offline. They are Mm -hmm. investing massively in uh, solar energy technology to the point where they've lowered solar panel costs uh, for the entire world um, by flooding the market with uh, cheap solar panels. China's doing a lot more than we are in many respects. And so to claim, as the president does, that we can look to other countries as argument um, for um, uh, reneging on our commitments to Paris, well, that's hogwash. Every other country in the world is committed to Paris. Most countries are doing far more than we are. Uh, There's a little bit of good news in that we have enough states that have enlightened leadership and cities Mm. and municipalities and companies that we're actually on a trajectory where we might meet our obligations under Paris, even without Trump, even with Trump uh, dismantling regulations to lower carbon emissions, uh, trying to get rid of the clean power plan and uh, uh, fuel efficiency standards that have helped us um, lower our carbon emissions, even with the Trump administration doing everything it can to push us in the wrong direction, we'll still probably make uh, our Paris commitments. But here's the problem. Uh, meeting Paris commitments alone doesn't get us to where we need to be. If we're going to stabilize warming below truly catastrophic levels, mm-hmm. um, we've got to go well beyond the Paris commitments. We need a president who's going to be committed to ratcheting up our obligations in the next major conference of the parties, rather than one who's trying to pull out of a global agreement that every other country is part of. Michael Mann, let me ask you this. Uh, even if we put these, and, and you're right, there, there is some good news in that report, but it is pretty slim pickings, it seems to me, because even if we uh, meet the Paris Climate Accord, we're st- the, the requirements there, we're still in trouble. And even if we put these things in place right now, like uh, basically the three main solutions that were put forward in the report, putting a price on greenhouse gas emissions, uh, a carbon tax or a fee, so to speak, uh, established government regulations on how much greenhouse pollution can be emitted, and spending public money on clean energy research. Even if we did all of those things right now, obviously we can't, thanks to Trump on a federal level, but would it be even if we did all of those things we know how to do, would it be enough to mitigate uh, against the worst of the effects that are detailed in this report and, and many others like it? Yeah, well, every bit of progress makes a difference. So, you know, too often 
we simplify sort of how we characterize the impacts of climate change. We make it sound like there's a cliff at two degrees Celsius, uh, three three point six degrees Fahrenheit, and mm-hmm. if we warm the planet. Beyond that point, we fall off a cliff, and it's not like that. It's like a, a highway, and we're going down this uh, downward-sloping highway, and it's getting more and more treacherous. And, yeah, we might miss the 2 degree Celsius exit. That doesn't mean we don't do everything we can to get off at the 2.5 degree mm. Celsius exit, because that's better than the 3 degree exit, and that's better than the 4 degree exit. And if you sort of follow, you know, uh, the, the highway, uh, you know, past all of those exits towards basically business as usual. We do nothing to avert catastrophic climate change. Then, yeah, we basically uh, create an unlivable planet uh, for us and, and for many of the other living things on this planet. So there, there is still time to take the actions necessary to avert that sort of future. And how bad we're willing to let it get um, is really... Uh, you know, the only decision we, we have to make at this point is uh, how quickly do we get off that highway? Mm-hmm. And the more we do, uh, the, the, the more uh, rapidly we bring down carbon emissions, uh, the earlier that we put a price on carbon and we introduce regulations to get us off carbon, every little bit of action on our part, and that's at the policy level, but it's also individual actions which make a difference as well. Everything we do makes a difference. It helps us get off at that earlier exit, and that's what we have to do. I've got uh, just a, a few minutes here with you, uh, Mike, so I want to try to run through a couple of quick points. I saw a response from you on Twitter, I think a week or so ago, to uh-huh. newly elected um, Progressive Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she had tweeted that we have just 10 years left to take action to avoid, quote, cataclysmic climate disaster. You disagreed with her assessment there. Yeah, and um, really I was being a bit glib. Um, in it, what, what she Not meant, you, not you, Mike. <laughs> I mean, what she was trying to say was absolutely true, that, look, um, you know, if we go 10 more years down this road without mm-hmm. bringing down carbon emissions substantially, then, yeah, we commit to, to catastrophic climate change. Um, I was simply concerned that sometimes when you frame it that way, it makes it sound like, hey, we've got 10 years yeah. until we start doing something. And that's not the case. We've got to ramp, ramp down those carbon emissions dramatically over the next 10 years yeah. if we're going to avoid crossing that threshold. Yeah, I think it's been uh, about the last 10 years I've heard that we have 10 years left. It kind of seems like we're there right around now. Uh, Mike, I want to uh, get some quick thoughts from you here on how things uh, how the media responded. We know that uh, you know the administration tried to hide this report yeah. by releasing it on Friday. How did the uh, media, as far as you saw, uh, were you on a lot of the shows? Were you on Meet the Press? Uh, how did that uh, go, the coverage of this go, as far as you could tell over the weekend? You know, I'd like them to rename Meet the Press, uh, Be Depressed, uh, because at least this week, the only person they had on the show um, to talk about uh, the new report was an American Enterprise Institute climate change denier who was clueless about the science, and yet they uh, allowed her to, um, you know, to basically filibuster, uh, uh, per, you know, purveying one climate change denialist myth after another. And 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 Chuck Todd and nobody else um, on the panel was uh, willing to call them to task, and that's unacceptable. 
Um, and so there was no I, scientists? I, no, just uh, there was only because that's what I saw was a whole yeah. bunch of deniers. Uh, yeah. Rick Santorum, I know your your good friend, uh, was on one of the shows uh, giving some denialist nonsense. Uh, yeah. uh, seemed to be a lack of scientists, people who actually know about this report, talking it, about it, this report. Yeah, it was a mixed bag. Um, I actually spent quite a bit of time doing interviews mm-hmm. on the cable news networks, uh, uh, MSNBC, uh, CNN, uh, several uh, interviews on both networks, Fox News, I'm still waiting for your call, um, uh, NPR and, and other outlets, BBC, four different BBC shows. Um, so, uh, and there, CNN, I was just watching it today, I was watching a little bit of MSNBC, there was a lot of good, solid discussion about this hard-hitting report and the urgency that it conveys. Um, the problem is in these political Sunday morning shows, um, and there's a large audience, right, um, that doesn't mm-hmm. watch sort of the 24-hour news cycle on these cable news uh, shows. The only thing they might tune into are those Sunday morning um, network news programs. And if that's what they were watching, um, and this is particularly sort of an older, um, sort of more male demographic uh, that's most likely to be in denial uh, of climate change, um, those are some of the people we really need to reach. And if all they're seeing are these Sunday morning news shows where the only person invited on to talk about the report is a you know right wing uh, think tank um, climate change denier. Well, you know obviously uh, those networks are doing a real disservice to their viewers and listeners. What's the uh, what's the bottom line? What should we take away from this uh, report before the next one uh, hits? If there's one thing we yeah. can walk away with, one lesson here, uh, Michael Mann, what would that be? Look, the the, the scientists. You know, very conservative scientists who would rather be left alone in the lab crunching numbers or collecting samples are shouting from the rooftops. Um, That tells us that we don't have any time to waste now. We have to act now. Dr. Michael Mann, you can find his work at uh, michaelemann.net. He is the Distinguished Professor and Director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University. You can uh, you can and should buy uh, some of his, several of his books for Christmas, The Madhouse Effect, uh, with along with uh, cartoonist Tom Tolls, and a children's book that I think was just recently released, if I understand, with uh, Megan Herbert called The Tantrum That Saved the world. Uh, Mike, always great talking to you, my friend. Oh, and follow him on Twitter. Harass him there. He is Michael E. Mann on Twitter. Uh, Mike, greatly appreciate you joining us once again today. You too, Brad. Great talking with you. All right. Okay, we'll take a quick break and uh, come back with some of your uh, phone calls if you want to talk about this, about this report, and uh, all of the other things that uh, didn't get enough coverage as far as I'm concerned over the weekend. Our phone number here is 818-985-5735. If there's anything you saw over the weekend that you feel hasn't received the coverage it deserves, uh, now's the chance to uh, give it some airtime uh, to breathe. Uh, Desi Doyen, before we uh, jump to the break here, um, one of the issues that seem to keep coming up over and over again with the denialists yes. on the the weekend shows talking about all of this was how these scientists, these climate scientists, 
They're just in it for the money. <laughs> Which is hilarious. If you follow any climate science or scientist or, or listen to any of them, they will tell you, no, they don't get paid a lot of money for this. And uh, specifically regarding the National Climate Assessment that just came out, they volunteered their time. What? They were not paid for this. So anybody who says otherwise is, um, is uninformed. That's a nice way to put it. Yes. Not to mention the fact that, you know, the oil companies and the Koch brothers, boy, they'd pay a hell of a lot more money if you were willing to be a scientist and sell your soul to lie and claim that none of this stuff was ever happening. Exactly. All right, quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Please do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'll try to get to some of your calls momentarily at 818-985-5735. But let's see. Uh, Yeah, you know, before we uh, broke for the holidays last week, we were continuing our nonstop coverage of, yes, the midterm elections, which are still being tallied in various places across the country, uh, tallied, uh, challenged, uh, including here in California, where results will not even be certified until sometime next week. Talking about the November 8 election. Uh, and as we predicted, the last time I was in last week, uh, as far as counting goes, uh, Democrat Ben McAdams has, in fact, now unseated Republican Congresswoman Mia Love in Utah. The first, by the way, she is the first and only black Republican woman in Congress. Her bid for uh, re-election in the deep red state of Utah failed reportedly by a very narrow margin where the counting stretched on over the past three weeks. And today, Congresswoman Love finally offered her official concession. In doing so, she condemned President Trump in a scathing concession speech, describing him as having, quote, no real relationships, just convenient transactions. She used similar language to attack her own party, accusing Republicans of having a transactional relationship with minority and black voters. Love, who was elected to Congress back in 2014 and had been she had been seen as a rising Republican star because, you know, she was black. She was a woman. And there's not a lot of either of those in the Republican Party. 
Nonetheless, she lost her election by less than a percentage point to McAdams, the Democratic mayor of Salt Lake County, her defeat in a district that Trump carried back in 2016 by seven percentage points hands the Democrats yet another seat in the House of Representatives, giving the party 38 additional seats in the midterm elections in their uh, taking control, in their taking the majority of the chamber in January. Ms. Love's harsh words for Trump came in response to remarks that uh, President Trump had made about her nearly three weeks ago, the day after the election. During his news conference, his crazy news conference, the day after uh, the, the midterm election, he mocked Mia Love for losing her race, even though the votes were still being tallied. It was an incredibly close race. He said, Mia Love gave me no love and she lost. Too bad. Sorry about that, Mia. She's the daughter of Haitian immigrants. She's the only Republican woman in the Congressional Black Caucus. She criticized Republicans for how they interact with minority voters. She said, quote, this election experience and these comments shines a spotlight on the problems Washington politicians have with minorities and black Americans. It's transactional, she said. It's not personal. Because Republicans never take minority communities into their home and citizens into their home and into their hearts, they stay with Democrats and bureaucrats in Washington because they do take them home or at least make them feel like they have a home. She also railed in this concession speech uh, on Monday against the media, Democrats, her opponent. She called a wolf in sheep's clothing. She promised, I'm not going away. But now I am unleashed, I am untethered, and I am unshackled, and I can say exactly what's on my mind. Well, she may be able to say it on Fox News, but she's not going to be able to say it in Congress anymore. She is out. With that victory, as noted, Democrats have picked up 38 House seats in the midterm elections so far. That could still go up to at least 39. There are still two more uncalled seats, both in New York, uh, Democrat Anthony Brindisi is said to be up uh, by eight-tenths of a percentage point in his race against incumbent Republican Claudia Tenney in New York's 22nd House District. And in the 27th House District, Republican Congressman Chris Collins, who was indicted recently on a whole bunch of insider trading charges, he is just nine-tenths of a point above his Democratic challenger, Nate McMurray, uh, in a very red district in New York, which Donald Trump had won by 25 percentage points in 2016. Now, the indicted Republican is up by just nine-tenths of a point as that counting and those challenges continue. Meanwhile, in addition to the counting, all of the voting is not yet over. On Tuesday... Mississippians head to the polls for a runoff in the special U.S. Senate election between the appointed Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. She was appointed uh, to fill the seat of Thad Cochran, uh, who was ailing and uh, resigned from the uh, from the Senate. So now she has to run for um, her first actual election in this special U.S. Senate election. Uh, she is running against former Democratic Congressman Mike Espy. No one got more than 50 percent on November uh, on November 6th. So they are having a runoff on Tuesday. And now this is Mississippi. So the race will likely be won by the Republicans. 
But who knows? Hyde Smith has had some serious missteps in recent days. Uh, and as it turns out, she is not the brightest bulb in the pack. I'll give you one quick example before I go to your calls here. Uh, during the same event at which she had made a joke about public hanging, which, by the way, is hysterical in the state of Mississippi, given its history of public hangings, you know, lynchings. The senator misidentified uh, former Congressman Henry Hyde as a senator from Oklahoma. She said, many of you have heard of Senator Henry Hyde from Oklahoma. That was a distant relative, she says, of hers. Her name is Hyde, Hyde Smith. She says he put in a bill many years ago that could never use federal funding to fund abortions. But the problem is Hyde was not a senator from Oklahoma. He was a congressman from Illinois who helped craft the very well-known Hyde Amendment, which bars the federal government from spending tax money to fund abortions. Uh, the, the video of her remarks follows a series of other missteps, the one about the public hangings. She also talked about vote suppression, telling a number of students she wouldn't mind if they made it a bit harder for liberals to cast a vote, which is also hilarious in post Theoretically, post Jim Crow, Mississippi. Uh, and uh, and then there was photos last week that surfaced uh, showing Hyde Smith posing in Confederate soldier garb at a museum honoring Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy. It was also revealed in recent days that she attended a whites-only elementary school in the 70s to avoid integration. So we will be watching that race uh, for any surprises akin to what happened, for example, last year in Alabama when Republican Roy Moore lost to now Democratic Senator Doug Jones, or even when Republican Mia Love lost in Utah to a Democrat for the U.S. House. There are uh, other runoffs also, by the way, coming up in Georgia next week for secretary of state. And a new lawsuit was filed challenging the results from the lieutenant governor's race in that state over the weekend. I hope to cover that interesting lawsuit in detail on tomorrow's thrilling broadcast uh, with the plaintiff in that case. But let me uh, let me take some quick calls here. Uh, let's go to uh, John in downtown L.A. Hey, John, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad, I love your show. Thank you, um, sir. I'm an ecological civil engineering strategist. That's a mouthful. But I have a number for you that might, you might want to sit down for, hopefully, Bill, as he goes next to you to resuscitate to me. Uh, what, you, wait, my you, calculations, when it comes to this ecological disaster yeah. that we are headed for, yeah. here's a number for you. Four trillion eight hundred sixty-four billion nine hundred sixty-seven. Woo! Million eight hundred ninety-six thousand seven hundred sixty-two. Three. Yeah. And that's just from South America that has to be replaced just during this Iron Age. John, what is that number? That is a number of what? That is the number of trees that have been cut down. Ah. Since yep. the industrial age yep. of America's here. Yep. And that's just for over here. Yep. I have the numbers for 
Various different countries. Well, don't we give them to me because hopefully we have. <laughs> yeah, I know. We are. We don't have time. I was going to say we don't have time for those numbers. We don't have time. Period. Uh, to keep dallying <laughs> about this nonsense uh, that this is somehow not going on. It's just incredible, John. I appreciate uh, I appreciate your thoughts and your concerns, my friend. Uh, let me go to Josh in Hollywood. Hey, Josh, welcome to the... Uh, once again, not enough women calling in. I don't know why. Call us up, 818-985-5735. Josh in Hollywood, welcome to the broadcast, sir. How you doing, Brad? Oh, well, okay. How are you? Good, good. I just wanted to shine a little light on the reason that there is even a possibility to, to doubt climate change. It's obvious that we are totally consuming and polluting and destroying every like. Uh, ecological systems and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. That's obvious, yes. But does anybody know that they designed cars that run on water already? In the 80s, Stanley Meyer, he designed a car running on water. He patented it internationally, and they uh, offered him a billion dollars to shelf his in- invention, and he refused it. So then he dies of an, of an aneurysm, mysteriously. You know, I mean, this is what happens when the engineers come up with real free energy. Of course, they don't want us collecting rainwater and powering our cars. But, uh, but no one talks about this, you know, and, yeah. and this is why we can doubt it, because we don't have to be polluting. We could be having free energy. We could have cars on our water, but the government don't want that. So, well, we, you know, at the very least, we could have had electric. We did have electric vehicles decades ago. GM had a great car that everyone loved, the EV1, I think it was. Uh, yeah. And suddenly they pulled it off the shelves for some reason that is uh, discussed in uh, Who Killed the Documentary, a great documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car. I mean, now we're all excited about Teslas and everything, but decades ago we could have and should have been doing this. So these Rockefellers and these 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 people who, you know, control the the, the, the quote-unquote fossil fuel, which they they make it sound like it's scarce, it's not really. But I'm I'm just going to tell you the reason that no one knows is because what does Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Brown, all those um, Wales University? What do they all have in common? What's that? Those are all elite, elite family names. Okay, mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to say. All right, thanks, Josh. I appreciate that call. Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five is our phone number. Eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. I know a lot of you want to get in on uh, this. Anything else on your mind? We'll take it. We got a. a Hell of a lot going on today, but I'd rather hear from you. Uh, and uh, oh, is there? We have a, a denier calling in, Des. All right, we'll consider whether we'll uh, hear from that denier after this. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. We'll come back with that, more of your calls, and some more news that I got. 818 985 5735. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. For some reason, that uh, song always cheers me up. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, some good news before we go back to the uh, to the phones here. The, uh, the massive wildfire that killed dozens of people and destroyed thousands of homes in Northern California has now finally been fully contained after burning for more than two weeks, according to authorities on Sunday. This is the nation's deadliest wildfire in at least a century. It ended up killing so far at least 85 people. Um, Some of the good news is that we are down to less than 250 people on the list of those unaccounted for. That number had been as high as 2,000 a week or so ago. Um, Officials say that the uh, drop in that number is uh, that they were able to confirm that, in fact, a lot of these people on this list were, in fact, alive. So good news there, uh, although still about 250 unaccounted for two weeks after um, these fires began in uh, on November 8th. Up in Northern California, where they burned about 240 square miles, destroying the entire town of Paradise in just one day. Nearly 19,000 buildings, most of them homes, are now gone in that Northern California fire. Down here in Southern California, uh, residents returned to areas that were evacuated um, in a fire near Malibu. Uh, That is now being uh, repopulated again. Um, At the height of the fire, some 250,000 had fled their homes. Three people died down in uh, Southern California in the fires down here. More than 1,600 buildings, most of them homes, were destroyed, according to officials. And Donald Trump today says, yeah, he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe the, uh, the, the, the extraordinary cost of climate change that is warned about uh, that could be twice as high, twice as big of a loss to the economy as the Great Recession. Donald Trump doesn't believe it, even though his own administration released that report over the weekend. And by the way, he's also all of this is going on as he's sending uh, he had sent, what, something like 5000, more than 5000 troops down to the U.S. border. 5,000 troops down there. Meanwhile, there are 19,000 people in Northern California who have lost their homes. Wouldn't it be nice if we sent the troops to help build some housing for these people? It's getting cold and rainy up there in Northern California this time of year. And yet uh, all weekend long, the uh, media, not just the right wing media, but the media overall was obsessed with uh, whatever Donald Trump tells them is going on on the border. Let's go to uh, Berna, where we are here, Berna in Montecito. Hey, Berna, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm a resident of Montecito. I think most people in California are aware of the fire and debris um, slide that we had recently. After that, we started a project called Recovery Foundation, and we opened a free store for all of the people who Mm. suffered in the Carpentria and um, Ojai, the related areas. Now, um, Recovery Project being opened in Malibu, Mm -hmm. 
um, and it's being opened in the Country Mart in Malibu. Okay. Um, and it is for um, that area and anybody that can get to it. Um, the clothing is for men, women, and they're starting to collect children's clothing. It's all free. It's all from neighbors. It's all neighbors wanting to help neighbors. Mm. Um, you can go online and find it. Uh, there is um, a website that was starting up, but you can also find it by going to the Recovery uh, Project website. Um, and this is, you know, it's something that's so important because it allows not only the people who are in dire need right now, and as you said, they, they don't even have housing, but it allows those people to get what they need, and it allows people who want to give to have an access that's immediate and grassroots and transparent. They can see it yep. right there helping their neighbor. Thank you. Thanks for letting us know about that, Anna. Uh, I'm looking up, I'm trying to figure out where the website is. I guess we would just point people to uh, go to Google and look up Recovery Project if you want to help yes. that effort. Yes. Yes, Recovery Project, and it's it's the Malibu Free Store. All right, it's in the Country Mart in Malibu, and it's three of the um, local women in Malibu who have taken this up. They communicated uh, to us in yep. Montecito to be their mentors, and they started up. And they need donations, and they need to get the word out to people who are in need to come in there, and they will help them. Thank you, Berna. I greatly appreciate you uh, calling in to help get that word out for the Recovery Project. And, of course, my thanks to you, bet. Thank you uh, to those people who are uh, mounting that effort. Uh, I drove through Montecito over the uh, holiday weekend, and there are still... Uh, yards, just devastation there still from that mudslide, which I think was a year away, the mudslide, boulder slide that... uh, People heard about because it threatened Oprah's house, but uh, it's still a mess there. So I greatly appreciate folks stepping forward. All right, let me get through uh, a bunch of folks here very quickly. Norma in Cerritos. Hey, Norma, welcome to the broadcast. Yes, hi, Brad. Can you hear me? I can more than hear you. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you so much. It is so frustrating to see the slow pace of the mass media reporting on uh, climate change. I thought for sure now with this report that just came out on Black Friday, I thought for sure now we're going to, you know, get the attention that this serious topic deserves, but instead uh, CNN was uh, a bad-mouthing Fox, uh, poor coverage of it instead of getting into the depth of the report, Mm. and LA Times, I couldn't understand why LA Times didn't address this horrible tweet by uh, Trump over the, you know, over the cold climate of... uh, uh, the New York parade. Yep. Uh, they didn't quite address that, even though, you know, that could sway people to not understand, uh, you know, climate change, global warming, because it was so, uh, so cold in New York for right. the parade. So what are we supposed to do with our mass media to get them, you know, to cover this topic seriously? Uh, you know, I don't know what to do. I know that you should complain and you should call them and write them and do whatever you can to try to get them to do the right thing. But after having after being in this business for this many years and seeing the the, the mainstream corporate media fail over and over and over again, uh, in truth, the best thing you can do uh, is support independent media support if you're listening on kpfk or you're you know listening to to us or any other stations that uh, carry the broadcast or the others 
we need to support alternative media because, uh, you know, if it wasn't for, frankly, people like Desi Doyen on our own Green News report, you know, going back 10 years at this point, uh, yelling and screaming about these climate problems that we're only now sort of hearing about in the mainstream media. Uh, If it wasn't for the alternative media, uh, there would be no media at all, I think. I hear you, and I have been supporting, so thank you for the thank good you. job. I appreciate that, Norma. Thank you very much. All right, let me get to this uh, denier very quick, and then, Mo, hang in, hang in there, buddy. I'm getting to you as well. Uh, Warren in Mar Vista. Hey, Warren, you are a climate denier and say climate change is not possible? No, no, no. Oh. I, I don't object to uh, recognizing that temperature is rising and that ice is melting and storms are getting worse. My objection is to blaming it on greenhouse gases, making it a human-caused problem, as opposed to recognizing the source is somewhere else. Where is the source? I think it's God letting the world people know they're doing a horrible (laughs) job at being good stewards. And your evidence that it is God, Warren? Um, My evidence that it is God would take an extremely long time to present, but basically that uh, life has taught me that every limitation that is experienced by any human being is a disciplinary hint from God suggesting to them their opportunities they're avoiding. Now, Warren, it says here on uh, on the call screen that you're, you're a physician, you're a doctor? Yes, I have an M.D. degree. So you're a scientist, and yet you... 1977. Yeah, and yet you see all of these uh, thousands and th- tens of thousands of scientists giving you actual scientific evidence saying that this is what is causing it, and you say, no, that's not it, it's probably God, even though I don't have any actual evidence for it. Well, I have lots of evidence, but it's not, uh, it's not uh, physical. It's not the physical evidence. If you're not willing to open your mind and begin to see things on a level of subtlety, um, you're not going to be okay. able to see that it is God. But right. you, can't see, you can't see anything as being proven if you simply limit yourself to what you can detect with your five senses. Mm. Okay, well, I'll go with the sixth sense, I guess, uh, Warren. Uh, but until then, I, I well, think I prefer I the you, science. Can I give I, you two facts? I, you, unfortunately, you can't because I got to get out. I got one more caller. I promise to get to. But uh, Desi uh, types in to say, uh, "Is it Catherine Hayhoe?" Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. She's an evangelical climate scientist uh, who explains how to make sense of, uh, of climate change, even for uh, believers, Warren. Evangelicals are false Christians, so right. it's reasonable that one of them would believe in All the right. orthodox approach. Okay. Thanks, Warren. I appreciate, I do appreciate hearing from you, and I'm sorry okay. I have to give you the bums rush here at the top of the, top of the hour, but I do want to get to our old friend Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Mo, welcome to the broadcast, my friend. Brad, all that brother had to do was quote uh, uh, the book of Revelations, which is the prophecy of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you how we can uh, stop the prophecy of Jesus Christ. What we got to do is pay $100 trillion, I'm sorry, $1 trillion, I apologize, $1 trillion, and buy out the fossil fuel industry. I talked to one of your hosts about this some time ago. Just go on and buy them out because they are detriment to the world. $1 trillion will buy out the fossil fuel industry in the world. Where are we going to come up with that $1 trillion, Mo? Well, well, Brad, I know you got the money. You and Desi got plenty of money in your (laughs) offshore account. You got some over there in Sweden, too. You can't fool me, Brad. Talk to you later. That's true. Thanks, Mo. I appreciate it. Uh, That's true. Us independent uh, folks, media folks, do make 
trillions of dollars that we hide offshore. Uh, Barbara in Camarillo responds uh, to caller Warren to say, quote, it's a cruel man who believes in a cruel God. All right, Barbara. All of those thoughts are appreciated and welcome, but I got to get out until tomorrow's broadcast. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our board operator today, D'Angelo Jones, to my guest, Dr. Michael Mann of Penn State Earth System Science Center, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I hope you will find, follow, and share me there. I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.